You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. We're in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6. It's a story that we've mentioned so far is shaped around God's people triumphing when they put their trust and their faith and their belief into God's appointed leadership. And we've been following the man of Joshua. Joshua is this archetype, prototype, pointed towards the new and better King, King Jesus. We've been thinking about as we read through the book of Joshua that we want to apply the way that people follow Jesus is the way we want to follow, the way that people follow Joshua is the way we want to follow Jesus. Now, at the very start of this series, we mentioned how this book of Joshua is broken up into some, some pretty significant acts, if it was a theatre play. The first act, we, have, we are coming to an end of that this week, and we're moving into the second act. The first act is entering into the promised land. And now we're coming into the second act, which is a season of conquering the promised land. Land from the end of chapter 5 all the way to chapter 12. And let me tell you, in this section of the book of Joshua, there is confidence for God's people. This book is not only going to give you steel in your spine as you look to our great conquering King Jesus, but is also going to give you hope for the future in the way that this book is even prophetic in what we look forward to being able to see and participate in as God's people. And so we're in the second act of this historic epic, Conquering the Land. Now, this famous story, this is the one today that Matt read so wonderfully for us and which we sang along to. This is the famous one of the walls coming tumbling down. I'm sure many of you have heard of it in Sunday school. You've probably sung little songs about it. Maybe it's appeared in your uh, upbringing as you've gone to the token school where they've mentioned this story. Uh, As we start investigating this story today, let me just ask and appeal to you, don't let whatever familiarity you have with this account 
make you discount what God might have for you today. Despite what's been written in the kids' books, shown in the cartoons and spoken on the stages, this is not primarily a story to help you feel the warm and warm fuzzies of how God is going to bring down the walls in your life. Sure, we can be inspired and we can know that he can, but this story is so much more than that, beautifully more than that. Joshua 5 and going through 6 is about the mercy of God. It's about the future that God is beginning to work out in his people even now. And it's a story where you'll have to make a decision as to what part you are going to play in that. There's going to be three key themes that are going to be guiding our time together through this narrative. The, th- the three headings can be summed up as God is king. We'll be exploring that with the statement, there's a better question. God is king. The second is the king is good. And we'll be exploring that by thinking about this question, why seven days? And then we're going to be thinking about the king is here. And we'll be asking, how do you respond? God is king. The king is good. The king is here. God is king. We want to think about the better question. The context so far up to this part in the book of Joshua is that uh, the people of God, Israel, they have now entered into the promised land. Last week, we thought about their crossing over the river Jordan. We thought about this big turning upside down of the book of Exodus. They not only have been drawn out of oppression through the parting of waters, but now they are going and entering into God's promises through the parting of waters. Joshua's leadership and calling his life by God has now well and truly been established miraculously. And now Joshua, oh, I told you, I told you, Oh, you can have your cake and eat it too. There you go. I'll have to clip that down. All right. I'm sure at this point, if you are Joshua leading the people of God, your appetite for and your excitement for what is ahead is beginning to grow. Is it not? You're Joshua, like somewhat 40 years ago, you've got to have, you're one of the, he was one of the spies that got to spy out the promised land. He's already seen and now he's in it and he's leading the people. He's just like, come on, we are ready to go. And Joshua stands on the edge of the promised land. And what does he see? He sees the mighty city of Jericho, the mighty city of Jericho. What is this city? Well, they've entered into this land of Canaan that has been taken up by the Canaanite, non-God-fearing people that are made, who have their own man-made religion and their own um, hedonistic religious practices. And then Jericho is this Ford operating base, we would call it when I was in the army, an FOB. It's a military outpost, more than likely. It's more than likely this big fortified city that we already know from our reading is filled with a king and the men of valour. So this is like a station on the edge of where people would be coming into the land of Canaan so that those soldiers there can be like, well, you first have to get past us. Now, we know it's not a mega, super massive city because the archaeological digs of the city of Jericho that we can still, you can, you can go there today. You could have walked around the city. It takes about an hour and a half to get all the way around. Big, mighty walls, beautiful structure. It's kind of like uh, the thinking is, have you watched Lord of the Rings, the two, uh, the two towers? And there's like the city of Gondor, the city of Gondor, where the men are like in this place. And it's like this refuge where they stay and the soldiers are there. And it's like, okay. And if anyone comes into the land, the spies look over the walls. It's like, who's those guys? Kill them. And we're just going to retain this nice promised land that we've uh, settled into so nicely. So Joshua sees the city of Jericho. What else does Joshua see? Joshua looks and he sees the promised land. He sees the land of Canaan. He sees what God has been promising God's people since the time of Abraham. When God said to him, you will have, you'll have children, you will be blessed and you will have land. The continuation of God's master plan is being carried out. And this land, oh man, it is productive. They already have seen the fruits of the land. It's prosperous and it's promising. 
This is why the Canaanites love it so much. This is why you put, stick a big, dirty military outpost there because like, no, this is ours. We don't want anyone taking our nice little spot. I'm sure that Joshua has flowing through his mind at this stage, God's promises. He's got Exodus 3 echoing in the back of his head, which was this promise to enter into this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm sorry, vegans. It was also in his mind, thinking through what God has described in Deuteronomy 8, where it says, it's a good land, a land of brooks and of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. Just think of the best ever grazing plate that you've seen at the most recent event or wedding that you've been to. And you're like, that has come from the promised land. Look at that. That is promised land food right there. And Joshua is standing and he's just like, time to go in. Time to go get me a chikarachi, whatever boards they're called. Who can say that word? No one. We need a translator. We need a translator. We need someone. Anyone got the gift of interpretation? Anyway. Joshua, right now, he's just gone through the parted waters and he has everything that is in his mind of what he's going to do with this great, big, fresh start. Promised land. Come on. And we do this all the time, don't we? This is, this is, I think, a lot of the state of even the Christian life. Uh, the Exodus, it's, it's a picture of us being liberated from physical slavery and death. And it points to our spiritual liberation of when God saves us through the personal work of Jesus, we are given a fresh start. We are given a new life. We are born again. And so many of us, I'm sure, if you're, a, if you're a Christian here today, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Christ, you'll have an experience of just like, wow, I've got a... I've got a new start. What am I going to do with this? The opportunities, the thoughts, the what, how am I going to explore this new gift of a fresh start that God has given us? We start to dream about what we all are now about to do. And Joshua, I think, is in that state. And so now we ask, what does God, what does God think of Joshua's excited posture of heart? Well, we don't have to wonder. God rocks up. God rocks up. We see very early on in our reading, Joshua thirteen, Joshua 5.13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked, behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Let's just notice this from, from the start. Um, uh, this is, so we'll, you know, actually, I'll read the next little bit. It goes on to say, uh, he said, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord and I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, what does my Lord have to say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said, Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua said so. Now, we're going to come back to the start of that, but we just need to establish right here that the person that God stands in front of is God. It's God. The commentators say that this is a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. This is like the moment where it's just like Jesus is like, oh, before I go, baby, I also just need to rock up to Joshua and show this is like, we're ready to go. And how do we know? Well, what does, what does, what does the commander of the army of the Lord say to, to Joshua to do? He says, take off your shoes. So actually, I think there's more warrant for no shoes at church than there are shoes. But anyway, just leading from the front lines. Um, it's God. He is standing in the presence of holiness. And we know this because God, is, he, as he flips over Exodus and gets, gives Joshua his own Moses-like experience, does this familiar to anyone? Moses stood before the burning bush and God meets him in that state. The fire that would then go on to lead God's people out of Egypt. And in that moment, God says to Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And now as they go in to the promised land, now no longer being led by fire, but led by the commander of the army of the Lord, God is like, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. Joshua is being met by God in this moment. And look at what the conversation says. Sorry, backtrack for a moment. Just notice this. God has an army. 
What does this tell us about God? Second question in our gospel community set of questions. God has an army. He can fight for you. He can fend off evil. He can charge forward and you just have to, he'll, he'll, he'll be the one that will, that, will, that will be brave and strong and courageous when we got nothing left. God has an army. Also tells us something about the reality of the world that we live in. Maybe there's a few battles that need to be fought. But it also tells us a little bit of our confidence for those that are on Team Jesus. The battle is also the Lord's to fight. Anyway, side, side application. Joshua says, as he meets God, he says, uh, so um, are you for my plans or are you for their plans? So um, how's this going to work out? And then what does God say to Joshua? No. No. That's a jolting, wake up Joshua type of response, isn't it? You are asking the wrong question, Joshua, son of Nun. Joshua, you've got the question wrong. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And hear these four words. Now I have come. What's going through Joshua's head at this time? What's Joshua thinking? Hmm, okay. Uh, maybe I got ahead a little bit ahead of myself. Um, yeah, this, this, this is not my plan. Ultimately, this is not my plan. Yes, I have a role to play, but I'm not God's supreme commander. I must be careful not to ruin my God-given responsibility by applying my self-serving motives. You see, what makes God God is that he's in charge. God is king. God is king. And so we see then how Joshua responds upon this gentle correction from the commander of the army of the Lord. Well, Joshua moves from proudly standing to meekly submitting in a posture of worship. It says he fell on his face in worship. He humbles himself before the king, before he is humbled by the king. He lays down in humble gratitude before he is made to lay down because of his arrogant attitude. Now notice this, he wasn't told that he had to do that, was he? It is just a right, appropriate response when you have recognised the presence of the living God, when you recognise who he is and who we are. This is the authentic response to coming face to face with the divine. We see this in the prophet Isaiah when he walks into the heavenly throne room and he sees God in all of his glory and his robe that is filled through the temple. And he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, and he falls on his face. We see this appropriately with John when he sees the nations in a future picture of what is going to exist for God's people. They see the nations praising and worshipping God in a posture of adoration and humility and meekness. We see Joshua's response is consistent with what it looks like for when other people in the Bible actually meet the true God of the Bible. Have you met the true God of the Bible. The one who is so awesome, so full of majesty, so worthy of praise. Have you felt humbled? Have you been able to say along with the words of Jesus, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you want to meet the true God of the Bible? Do you want to be able to behold beauty and glory? See, I think that's something that we can actually all answer yes to. We all actually want this. Deep down, we all want this. We all long to look at beauty. We all long to experience majesty. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we meet outdoors, isn't it? Like, how good is this? It's beautiful. It's like, this is so much better than four white walls. Why is it that people, like this is amazing. I mean, I, I'll do the lap of the Torquay Esplanade quite regularly. And why is it when people on their work break, they would much prefer to go and sit in their car with a coffee at Point Danger and look at the ocean 
Oh, don't know. Oh, people either side. Instead of going and sitting in a dark room with a coffee. Why is it? We are drawn to beauty. We are drawn to majesty. We want to be filled by that stuff. I think it's the words of John Piper. He says, no one goes, no one goes to like the Great Canyon, the Grand Canyon to like feel good about themselves. They go there to be humbled and be like, yeah, isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? You get that when you get to stand before the true God of the Bible. Needless to say, Joshua recognises the significance of this moment. It is a royal visitation. And with that, look what happens to Joshua's initial question. Does he still ask, whose side are you on? Who are you helping today? No, verse 14, Joshua says, what does my Lord say to his servant? What does my Lord say to his servant? Notice the change? You notice the priority? You notice the the posture here? It's no longer, God, how are you going to fulfill what I want? It's, God, you're in charge here. I know that. I recognize that. You are king. What are we doing? It's, God, you are here. You are with us. And I am excited to move forward. But how do you want that to play out? What plans do you have? I think this is a really important thing that Joshua models to us in this moment because there's something about the way that an individualistic Western mind mind shift has penetrated into even the church. That means we don't know how to ask that question anymore. Now, I I don't know if your experience has been similar, but there seem to be plenty of expressions of Christianity today, that many of the songs that I hear on the Christian radio, many of even the popular teachings I hear or what is I've too often encountered is the God of the Bible is the divine butler or he's the motivational coach. Yeah, motivational coach Jesus. Or yeah, what do we need from God? I'm just gonna pray when I need to right here, right now. Yeah, God is great. God's powerful. What an amazing ally I have for the excess that I've planned for my life. Or we hear, yes, God is forgiving. God is loving. What an amazing set of reasons to just dip into God when it's convenient for me. God is my way maker. He's my personal coach. I'm so glad that he's standing in my corner right now as I try to fight my battles. And look, there's some truth to that. The enemy's good at that. He can take a little bit of truth and then skew it. There's some truth to that. God is a loving father. He's for his kids. He's for his kids. He's for you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. But how arrogant have we become since the fall of humanity? How corrupt can our thinking become? So often it can be a state of where a child of God can be, you know, gets pranced around like being one of those bratty, demanding, entitled trust fund kids. And it gets encouraged. Being a child of God is to feel the confidence and the safety and the warmth of being protected and loved by the God of the universe, who is to be feared, who is a king, but is also your father. So the better question when you know God is king, it's not, it is the better question. It's not to say, God, are you for them or are you for me? The better question is, God, I see you're awesome. I see you. You're awesome. And you're here and you're with me. Like, what are you doing right now? And how can I come? God, I see potential. But how do you see me involved in that? And how can I get in on that? Do you see the change in the question? Do you see the need? to change the question. Do you want in on the plans and purposes of God?
You see, I do. I want in on the plans and purposes of God. I don't want my agenda to try and shape what God may be doing. I don't want to be the one that's trying to call the shots because you know what? Just me talking. I know that God is infinitely smarter, wiser, kinder, more peace-loving, more powerful, and more purposeful than I'll ever be. (laughs) And as it says in the book of James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I think Joshua knew that as well. And so he says, Lord, what does my Lord have to say to his servant? We can trust God in getting on board with what he is doing. We can trust in giving up ourselves, giving up our lives. We can, we can, we can, we can make that hard decision to be like, I actually need to take a step back and stop trying to rule everything in my life. I need to say, Jesus, you are Lord, and then ask what's next. And we can trust that so infinitely because we look at an empty cross where Jesus has gone to die in our place. He's given us his best when we're at our worst. He's called us into the family at such a great cost. And he rises from the dead, stamped, sealed. It's done. All authority on heaven and earth. Risen, ruling and returning, working in this world right now. God is king and he will come again. So how do we get in on that? So it all changes. Everything should change on this statement from God, the commander of the army of the Lord. He has come. God is king. And the world needs to make a decision as to how they respond to that. And so far, We've seen Joshua's response. Joshua responds to God is king with saying, I bow my knee and I will go where you send. But the story is not done yet. There are more responses to see, aren't there? There are more responses to see. God is king. Now let's look at the king's plans and see that the king is good. The king is so good. Now, Joshua, as he stands before the army, the commander of the army of the Lord, as he stands before this, as shoes are off, he's ready. He's now gets some marching orders. And now he gets to hear about his role in partnering in the plan of God to see the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, what we're going to see in the plan of God, it's different to Joshua's plan. It's a plan that does two things, announces the presence of God, and it reveals the character of God now that he has arrived. It announces and it reveals his character. God says to Joshua, verse, chapter 6, verse 3, You shall march around the city, all the men of war around the city once. Thus you shall do so for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with their ram's horn, When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet and all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So this is the plan of God. Okay, Joshua, what I want you to do is uh, go grab some priests and go get your under-equipped, under-skilled, very little, very little battle experience men, and you're going to grab the ark and you see the city. So, yeah, now I mean, like, like today, um, just walk around it. Don't say anything. Just don't like no talking, please. Like you're going to ruin it. No talking, and trumpets blasting. All right, and then. Um, and then I want you to do it again for a few more days. Um, how many? Oh, so hold on. Uh, we're going to do it for a week. Seven days. But yeah, on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times. Okay? And then on the se- then you're going to big, like big trumpets, big, big trumpets, and then everyone's going to shout. Okay? Uh, you're all in this together. This isn't just you, Joshua. This is the community at work, all shouting together. There's the plan. Off you go. Just for a moment, if you're Joshua right now, it's like, what? Like, we've just been walking around in the wilderness for 40 years in circles. You want us to march around Jericho in circles? What? 
It's like I can see the figs and the grapes and the kuchirachi board. Is that the right way of saying it? And I still have to wait a week. Where's sharpen your sword? Where's I'm going to send the meteor to take? What? This plan's weird, God. No. What does the Lord say to his servant? Weird plan. Joshua, faithful obedience. Straight away. Takes his soldiers, takes his priests. Now, soldiers, like what's, what's going on there? How do these guys feel? So uh, guys, yeah, so here's the plan from the Lord. Um, so, okay, so, so we're marching out in front. Like city of Jericho, Jericho. Okay, uh, the one with the men of valor. Yeah, those guys. Okay, all right. Um, we've just, like, we, like guys, we've recently been circumcised. We're still a little bit sore, you know, and um, we don't have a lot of battle experience. Okay, I guess I'll put my armor on. And then this is the soldiers. And then the priests are over here. It's just like, well, at least you got a sword. Got my trumpet. Got my trumpet. What are you going to do when the guys come over the wall and start shooting arrows? Just like chop the arrows away with the trumpet. <laughs> Seven days. Look, it's, it's a crazy plan. But where is the confidence for God's people there? They could have like, they could, have, they could have shrunk back. They could have got worried. They could have murmured and been like, oh, what are we going to do? But the people don't, do they? Yeah, okay, Joshua, yes. If this is what God is saying, we will be faithful and obedient to that too. And we can have confidence for a whole host of reasons. We're going to do this for a whole host of reasons. One, did you just see what he did to the Jordan? Come on. He parted that thing and he just said he's going to flatten the walls. We're in. Future confidence based on past experience. Secondly, they're together. It's not just like, okay, you, random priest, go, run at the wall. And he's just like, okay, I'll muster up all the strength I've got. Let's go. No, they're working in this together. It's the church at work. It's the gathered community, everyone doing their different roles. I mean, we've got soldiers and priests and we've got, you know, leading around. The, the, the rest of the people are still back on the edges of Jericho, but they're still helping out too, aren't they? Like, I'm sure some of them at that point are praying. We need prayers. I'm sure some of them are going to be like, these guys are going to be back soon. We'll have some food ready for them. You know, there's, there's going to be people there that's just like, well, we're going, to, we're going to make this work. We're going to do this together. We're going to live out the promises of God. <laughs> so good. They're marching. They're the soldiers. Men of valor right there. Um, so good. And what is the most reason for confidence that these people have? What are they carrying? Carrying the ark that represents the presence of God. They're carrying the ark, the very thing that only days ago that they go and they step into the River Jordan and then the big wall of water up further upstream the dry ground and the ark stands there and every single person within Israel, within the people of God, got to walk past the ark and be like, this is the reason. This is the reason, this ark, this is the reason why it's dry ground and we're now entering into the promises of God. God is with them. God is with them in the presence, in his presence with his people. Confidence to faithfully obey and go where God sends. Amazing. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, Louis, but we don't have an ark. Do we need to make an ark? I don't know if we have enough gold leaf for that. We don't need an ark. Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that you are forgiven? You've been given a fresh start, you know, that he has been risen from the dead? Have you come before him and repentance and faith, gone into the waters of baptism and pledged your allegiance to King Jesus? Have you felt the reception of the Holy Spirit in your life that has begun to change you from the inside out? All of a sudden, your desires begin to change. There's now a love for people that you didn't have. There's now a peace that transcends all understanding that you didn't know once before. 
That is the presence of God in you. You don't have to look to an ark which may be on the other side of the camp. Jesus says, I have come. You know, you don't have to go to one place to find your place of worship. You can now worship in spirit and in truth wherever you are. That's confidence. So we can look at our week and we can look at our day. We can be like, right now I have a decision in front of me that it's okay, I can go obedience to God and I can trust in him and whatever this is going to look like. Or, you know, I can take a risk what God has called me to or I can go my way. It's just like, well, if he is for us, who can be against us? He's in me. And we go confidently. But there's more reasons that they can be confident. There's more reasons. All this trumpeting. What's going on? All this trumpeting. You know, Louis Armstrong going off. Future Louis Armstrong is one of the priests. Now, no, it's actually hard to you can't. It's hard to say, it's hard to see. I don't know if the if the people would come back from walking around the walls for, for a day and then they could talk in the camp. I don't know if this was like a forced like you know solid silence for the whole time, or if it was they only couldn't walk talk around the walls. But I imagine that if they could talk when they're back at the camp, they're probably going all right. Um, so tell us about what, what, what's with all the trumpets? Like what's going on there? Like, and the priests are just the priests at the time. It's like, oh, bring out the book, bring out the book. Let me take you to the book of Leviticus. Come on. Hey guys, you know what these trumpets represent? You know what these trumpets represent? Trumpets represent the announcing of the year of Jubilee. Have a listen to this in the book of, book of Leviticus. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven at the, at the time of seven weeks of years, you shall give 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout the land. The, the year of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee is this time that would keep reoccurring for God's people. And it was this time of announcement of, of rest and a, 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 taking, a taking back and of, of, of God's amnesty and peace and, and Sabbath. And so trumpets will have, as the Israelites are hearing this, they're like, oh, this is, this is like the fresh start. This is the year of Jubilee. This is like the, this is this entering into the promised land of rest. And there's also the seven days. And if you're an Israelite, you're thinking seven days, what's that significant to? I don't remember if there's anything in my history that has anything to do with seven days. How about creation? Seven day and on the seventh day was what? The day of rest. So if you're an Israelite, you, you get up early in the morning, you're watching the men go out to march or you're preparing, waiting for them to come back and you're like seven days, recreation. To enter into the promised land, a land of rest and jubilee. These guys are so pumped up and can't wait for what's ahead of them. What is a week when the rest is to come? And that's our hope too. We've got a little longer than seven days, most of us, God willing. But there is a rest to come for us, isn't there? The new heavens and the new earth or the new world, as one of my favourite little city kids likes to say, the new world in the presence of Jesus Christ. (laughs) So awesome. And right now, what are we to do? Well, we take the presence of the Lord wherever we go. We obey the great commission in being the aroma of Christ, the aroma of life to some, the aroma of death to others. And we march around. And sometimes we'll need to be silent. Sometimes our witness and our presence to the world is actually better when we shut up. You know? (laughs) You know, you've all got that one person in your gospel community. It's just like, I would love to invite them, but that person's in my GC. And they should really shut up. You're all laughing. (laughs) Sometimes it's better that we just have a quiet witness. It's like what Lisa said at the start. Beautiful. Beautiful. Sometimes just your witness and your faithfulness to Jesus is enough for people to be like, whoa, what's going on there? But then there's also times where they're going to need to speak up, isn't there? That's when they shout later on. So many times where we actually need to herald the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his love and his grace and his mercy. When people ask questions and we get to respond, when they really want to hear what we have to say, that's when we get to speak up. 
seven days, seven trumpets. This is what the Israelites are hearing, and it's what gives them confidence to march forward. But also, why seven days? I said that this chapter talks about the revelation of God's mercy to this world the revelation of God's mercy to this world. And not only is that seen in him fulfilling his promises to his people, but seven days. There's, we already know there's plenty of reasons for God's people to be confident. Seven days. Why didn't they just charge in? Why wasn't I'm the commander of the army of the Lord? Here's a bazooka. In you go. Seven days. Well, as Israel hears the sound of the trumpet as they march around the wall, There's other people that hear the trumpet too, isn't there? Who's that? It's the people in the city. The people of Jericho. Seven days of the trumpets. Now the horn or the trumpet played a really important role in Canaanite culture, both as a musical instrument and also as a symbol of power and authority. In religious context, the blowing of horns was often used to signal the beginning or the end of a ceremony or to call attention to a particular moment of action. And Jericho, for seven days, got a, they got up in the morning, wake up call, to the trumpets of the people walking around in a very non-combatant-like posture. It's just the declaration of the trumpets going out. And then they leave for 22 hours, and then they come back the next morning. Wake up, Jericho. It's us again. We're just doing a lap. Now, we already know, the Bible's already told us in the context of this section that Jericho, they are shaking in their little Jericho sandals right now. They've already heard of the testimony of the amazing, awesome power of this God, what he's done to Egypt. And I dare say that some of the spotters on the wall were just like, did they just part the Jordan? Jono, get over here. You got the binoculars? Oh, we don't have, well, we haven't invented them yet. Okay. They're walking through the Jordan. How are they doing that? Oh, I'll go have a look. They've got this big ark thing. It's a big golden box. What? The dudes with the robes are standing there with the big golden box and they're just walking through. It's It's dry. And I hesitate to say this in a sermon, but they're all sitting there on the wall and they're going, oh, crap. Oh, no. The fear of the Lord is in the hearts of the people of Jericho. And God says to the Israelites, seven days. Why? Well, who's God? Well, he's the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's, he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And God gives these Canaanites, gives these people of Jericho seven days to think about what they're going to do next. And what do they do? They do nothing. They do nothing. The stubbornness of man. They look to each other for their confidence, like a tribal gang-like mentality. The faith of these people, what do they do? They put their trust in what they have built. They put their trust in what they think is strong and they are not willing to see or listen or believe who this God is. They'd rather be confident in their own creature comforts that they've created. Their trust is in the fortress that they have made. Their trust is in the job that they have built. Their trust is in their own self-made security. And God is there standing the whole time, arms out. And we know he is because how did the book of Joshua start in chapter two? Who did we meet? Who was that character? Rahab. 
the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. And God shows what? Mercy. Mercy. And this is tragic. This is tragic, this account. We very intentionally left that last verse in the reading today. It's a hard one to read. It's a hard one to read. The women and the children, the vulnerable ones, they get taken down because of the arrogance and the, the, the self, self-stubborn, the, the men that should have been leading in that place, that should have humbled themselves, everyone goes because no one was willing to bow before God and say, you know what, you are king and I recognize your goodness and, and we are sorry and, 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 and we throw ourselves upon your mercy as Rahab did. No one does it. And so all of Jericho is destroyed. God didn't not give them the option. It's like that old adage, it says, God doesn't send anyone to hell. People just choose to go. God gives them exactly what they want. We don't want to be in your presence, God. And he goes like, fine. I've given you enough opportunity to think about it. But there is a point where indecision is still a decision. Their reaction is evidence of the psalmist who later goes on to write, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Or in Psalm 136, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps distance from the proud. Or as James, the brother of Jesus, goes on to write, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And how's this? He will lift you up in honour. Whilst the people of God, the Israelites, are an amazing example and model for us today in living out the plans of God together, the people of Jericho remain for us today in this historic account an amazing model for us today in what rejecting the goodness of God looks like and how crazy it is. So we see in Joshua 6 these three things. God is king. There's a better question. The king is good. He gives seven days. And lastly, the king is here. How do you respond? Jericho didn't repent because of their self-made security. Jericho weren't willing to listen and to hear what God had to offer. Jericho didn't get to know that submission to God isn't a restart, get rid of everything. It's renovate, get rid of sin. See, I think that Jericho were fearing that if they were to throw themselves upon the mercy of God, they would lose all of the benefits of the promised land, that there'd have to be this complete renovation of who they were, restart of who they were as a people. And I think the devil tells that lie to so many people today in our world. When when you submit to the will of God, it's not just it's not change everything and everything's going everything's going to be different. A doctor doesn't no longer become a doctor anymore. A builder doesn't no longer become a builder. A parent no longer becomes a parent. No, these are good and good wonderful gifts and people they've, they've been chosen out of great postures of heart. God's just like, yeah, those are great things. I invented healing. 
Yeah, good on you. I used to be a builder. That's awesome. You know what? I'm a father too, and I kind of get your pain. But you know what I do want to help with you is I, want, I don't want to restart you. I want to renovate you. And what does a good renovation look like? Keeps all of the beautiful good bits and restores all of the broken bits. So I don't know where your heart is before the God of the universe this day. We don't know how many days he has given us more to live. But Joshua 6 is a reminder that judgment is coming. Grace is on offer. And so now you can choose. And if you already are a Christian here today, if you already have made that choice, continue to take the presence of God wherever you go and choose every day to live for God allowing him to renovate your heart and also accept that there are some people that won't choose. They won't choose life. The greatest example of this is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, two criminals by his side. One, as he breathes his last breath, says, remember me this day. And Jesus turns to him and I'm sure he smiles through his broken, torn up face. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And the other one, after witnessing this amazing grace, continues to mock him and says, I don't want you. So, church, the army, the commander of the army of the Lord, he has come. He is Jesus Christ. And he has given us everything that we need to follow in God's plans for our life, to bring the presence of God to his people. The guiding question for our, for our lives is, God, how are we going to serve you in that? And I don't know where you are today, but if it's coming to know Jesus for the first time and just coming outside of the Jericho wall, walls to ask for mercy, Please come and talk to me. I'd love to lead you in that prayer. If it's just continuing in what God has put you on your heart, please continue to pray and ask that God will give you clarity for it. And if you don't know what the next step is, let's just keep journeying together, trusting in God's goodness and that he'll lead us as we say, not our will, but your will be done. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.